I'm not sure if there's a psalm that's more appropriate for what happened in our country this last Wednesday than the one that we read a little earlier. A world in turmoil, roaring seas, shaking mountains, bows, spears, shields, chaos. And in the middle of it all, a calming voice calling out, be still, be still and know that I am God. It's a line in scripture that many of us are familiar with, a line that that many of us cling to, and for good reason. It reminds us that God is up to something, even when we can't really define what that something is. And it assures us that we're not alone when we're in that place. On Monday morning, I spent a few hours outside in our our prayer garden, and I was trying to be available for preschool parents who who maybe just needed some time and some space to talk about Judy's passing. I, I waited. I walked in the labyrinth. I prayed. I journaled. I sat and I listened to the water from the fountain and the birds chirping all around me. It took about an hour to realize how much I desperately needed that time. I finally slowed down. I finally could breathe a little deeper. I recently read a story about St. Francis that captures the spirit of the psalm, I think, and and it seems appropriate for all that's going on in in our world today. The story goes that that St. Francis was out in his garden and and he was was digging one day when another monk approached him and, and said, Brother Francis, Brother Francis, if you knew that the world was going to end tomorrow, what would you do? How would you respond? And he replied, it's simple. I keep digging quietly in my potato garden. In moments where we might want to scream or yell or fight, and there's plenty to scream and yell and fight about today, we need to be reminded to be still, to know that God is God, to to know that God is in control. Be still and know that I am God. There is assurance in those words And there is a challenge in those words, especially when we're surrounded by so much uncertainty and so much chaos. Now, the Hebrew word that the psalmist uses here for knowing God, it carries this connotation of a process. It it can also be translated to to realize or to find out or to learn or to even grow into. And it almost feels like these two concepts being still. And, and, and learning or growing don't go together. But, but think about it. The, the truth is, it's often in the stillness that God meets us. It's often when, when we take time to just pause and breathe that, that God moves us. It's in those spaces that we have time to, to pause and reflect, which hopefully leads to a healthy response. And as we talked about last Sunday, it's in that place It's in that place where we we can kind of reach into our our first shared value and learn to see the image of God in one another. A value that's so desperately needed and uncommon today. Our our second shared value is connected to that that first shared value. Really, all four of our values are closely related to one another. And, And it reminds us that as a community, we are committed to lifelong inspired growth. 
Recognizing that we're all in different places along our journeys and that God loves us wherever we are on that journey. That God meets us wherever we are on that journey and that God moves us along the path. Now this value in alliance with with our denomination and really with the entire Reformed tradition. We have this, this saying that's often said that's Reformed and always being Reformed according to God's word. It's a value that reminds us that we can't be static, that we need to constantly be growing, constantly adapting to the world around us while holding fast to the unchanging nature of God's word. So when Jesus talked about being met by God and growing in relationship with God and with one another, he used imagery that would have made Sense made it made a lot of sense to, to his first disciples. Starting in John chapter 15, verse 1, we read this. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches, such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now this imagery of a vine and fruit of pruning and growth, it would have been very clear to first century Jews. Not just because many of them were farmers, though some of them were, but because the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, mentioned Israel being the vine and that Yahweh tended and took care of that vine. And so Jesus is saying, look, I am the true vine, I'm the real vine. My father owns the vineyard and the sole purpose of the vineyard owner is to grow fruit. My my father wants to grow fruit in you, which is why there's watering and pruning and, and trimming and all of those things. And now this whole metaphor, it, it really hangs on one word, abide. It's a verb and a concept that, that's incredibly important for understanding the gospel of John. He, he uses it nearly as much as all three other gospels combined. And, and this word abide, it's, it's not one that we use often in our language today. T- today we would, we would probably say, remain in me as I remain in you. 
or continue with me as I continue with you. Or as, as one of my favorite translation puts it, make your home in me as I make mine in you. Years ago, Haley and I, I spent time crafting a family mission statement with one another. A, a friend of ours gave us this deck of, of cards with questions on, the, on each card, and, and families could use these questions to kind of, uh, as a conversation starter, to create a shared purpose, to, to share hopes and dreams. And, and this year for Christmas, some six or seven years after we wrote our statement together, I had a friend who's a woodworker create a, a piece of art, and we hung it on our wall. Now, in Haley's mind, and, and really in my mind as well, there's something about putting art or, or pictures on the walls that, that just, it, it turns our house into a home. So, so my question for you is, as you think of making your home, whatever that means, what do you think about? What's your favorite space in your home? What's on your walls in your home? What what makes home home? The simplest meaning of this verse really is that Jesus invites us to live with him. That Jesus invites us to live with him, but it doesn't stop there. When Jesus says, abide in me as I abide in you, he's both taking the initiative He's taking the initiative and in, in turning toward us and asking us to invite him along in our journey. So he's taking an initiative and he's extending an invitation. It's what we mean with our shared value when we claim that God meets us and moves us with grace. The, the first time that John uses this word abide comes when Jesus invites his first disciples to follow him. Simon and Peter ask, uh, or I should say Simon and Andrew asked, Rabbi, where are you staying? Or, or teacher, where are you making your home? And, and Jesus responds, come. Come, come, come on, come, come and you'll find out. It's a reminder that Jesus meets us at the beginning of our journeys. The next significant time that, that, that John uses this, this concept is in John chapter 6. The feeding of the 5,000 had just happened, and, and Jesus goes to the other side of the lake, and when he gets to that side, there's a, a big crowd there that, that's looking for him, and he talks about being the bread of life. Eventually, he, he talks about communion, which had to confuse the crowd. And, and he says this, he says, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains, abides, makes their home in, in me and I and them. Jesus meets us in communion with him and through regular fellowship with one another. Then again, in John chapter 8, in a series of debates, of tense arguing about who Jesus was and is and what's expected of Jesus' followers, he tells them this, he says, if you continue, if you remain, if you make your home in my word... Then you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Jesus meets us as we, we dive into his word, as it's shared together publicly, and as we wrestle with it personally. Abide, continue, remain, make your home. 
But whatever verb you want to use to kind of capture this concept, John is clear that Jesus meets us and moves us along our journeys. And and then in John 15, right after the vine and the branches that we, we just read, Jesus reminds us that we ultimately make our home with him as we learn to love one another as Jesus loves us. God loves us. God meets us. And God moves us with grace. So this week, really this this entire year, as the earth shakes, as the waters roar, as the mountains tremble, as the scene of Psalm 46 literally unfolds around us, may we be a church that abides in Christ. Amen.